Welcome to the Centro Church Podcast. To find out more about Centro Church, please visit us at centrochurch.com.au or download our smartphone app today. Excellent. I want to ask you a question this morning about your life. What would have to happen in your life for your happiness level to increase? Um, What would have to happen for you to be happier in your family, happier in your workplace, happier in your church, happier in any environment where you find yourself? What would have to happen? Maybe there is something that you'd like to see changed, right? Maybe there's a circumstance. Maybe there's a crying child. I don't know. Maybe there's... I'm only kidding. I'm only kidding. I love the crying children. It's all good. Maybe there's... Maybe there's just some issue that you'd like to see solved. Maybe there's a person that would have to change their attitude, right? Be more sophisticated in their outlook like you and I. Uh, But there's this person in your family or at your workplace or in your church or in your life group or wherever who, you know, just rubs you the wrong way and you've thought to yourself, you know, my happiness levels have decreased ever since they've turned up, you know. If only they could just kind of, you know, just get going, life would be so much better. Uh, Or or maybe there's a a point in your history. Maybe there's something that you have done that you don't seem to be able to escape from. Uh, And you just wish that you could hop in a time machine uh, uh, and go back to that point of history and then not do it, (laughs) right? Take those words back or, or, or take a different route and not finish up in that situation. Maybe you're plagued by something in your past that you just wish could be uh, extradited, expunged, if you will, from the the history of your life. Today we're going to start a series called Enjoy, and it's fundamentally a cooked tour, if you will, of the book of Philippians. Now, if you follow your little reading guides, uh, and you got up this morning and had your, um, your quiet time with the Lord, you would have read the very letter that we're going to, uh, the very chapter that we're going to study right now this morning, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to do a chapter each week, so we're going to be moving through it pretty quickly, just taking the highlights as we go. But Paul seemed to be able to engineer his life for constant joy. And the question we're going to try to answer is how did he do it? What can we learn from it? To give you some background of the story, um, Paul had had an eventful four years of his life up until writing this book. He'd been in a jail in Caesarea, which is a coastal village uh, in Israel and Palestine back then. Uh, He'd been in prison for two years on what was fundamentally trumped up charges. He'd appealed to the emperor. Now, at that stage, the emperor of Rome was a weird character by the name of Nero. I don't know if you've heard of, ever uh, how familiar you are with Nero. I'll give you some of his information in a moment. But he was a strange cat, to say the very least. I mean, you know, Nero married a man, right? This Back then you could marry, well, but he castrated the guy before he married him. Nero was a strange cat. We'll get to Nero in a moment. Um, and so he's appealed for some reason to Nero, hoping that Nero's going to help him. And uh, he gets on this boat um, on the shores of Caesarea there. And along the way, uh, a storm comes in the Mediterranean and he gets shipwrecked, uh, washed up on an island where a poisonous snake bites him. 
Inevitably, another ship comes, they get on that ship and they find their way to Rome where he's under house arrest for two years. For two years, he's basically locked to the Praetorian Guard. That happens to be the special uh, uh, guard, those who, who look after the emperor uh, himself. And eventually, he's going to appeal to the emperor. Or that's the idea, to Nero. Now, Nero killed his mother. Uh, lovely chap. Uh, <laughs> He uh, tried to stab her to death. No, I should say he finally had her stabbed to death. He tried to poison her twice, had a shipwrecked, but she was a sturdy old vessel, I have to say. <laughs> Eventually, he had her stabbed to death and that's what knocked her off. That was his mother. Uh, you might have heard of his, his, his wife, Octavius. He had Octavius murdered because she became a, a believer, a Christian. And his children, he also had murdered. So he was a lovely chap. The kind of guy that you'd want to appeal to if you had something wrong in your life, right? Uh, he hated Christians, and the reason why history records he murdered Octavius, his somewhat famous wife, and, and their children was because they, uh, they found um, faith. But, but Paul, in the middle of all of this, is what you would define as the ever-ready bunny of joy. Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, is the... That is the, um, uh, the theme of the whole book. It says this, I will rejoice. I will be glad. I will be full of joy, that means. And I will continue to be full of joy. He makes this incredible statement uh, halfway through the first chapter, which is the pinnacle of the whole book. And if you will, the platform upon which we're going to build the whole of the next four weeks as we go through this one chapter at a time because he is the epitome of joy and we want to try to understand how he engineered a life to this irresistible joy. So we're going to start reading this morning from verse 3. And as I said, we're not reading the whole chapter simply because we don't have time, but we're going to take the peaks uh, from it. He says this in verse 3, I thank my God upon every... I want you to note the word every, every remembrance of you. He's writing to the believers in Philippi from the Roman prison. And he says, every time I remember you, I'm full of joy. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day into now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's stop there and discuss this whole idea of remembering everyone in your life with joy. Um, everyone in this room, I imagine, remembers... Who can remember school? Hands up if you can remember going to school. Hands up if it's so long ago you can't remember. Okay, good. All right. Let me ask you this. When you went to school, did everybody in your class fill you with joy? <laughs> did every interaction that you had with your teachers and with the principal, in my case it was the vice principal, but we won't go there, uh, fill you with joy. You look back and go, oh man, I remember going to school, everybody there just fills me, okay, or everyone's going, no, no, all right, well, let, 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 me, let me bring it to something a little bit, a little bit closer, a little bit closer. Think about your family, right? Um, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, cousins, uncles, aunties, in-laws, etc., etc. Does everybody in your family fill you with joy? No, okay, all right, <laughs> all right, um, think about where you work, I don't know where your job is, all right, but think about your employment situation, 
Right? Think about your boss, or if you're the boss, think about your employees. Or, you know, if you think about those who you work alongside of. There's everybody in your place of employment, your workplace. There's everybody there. Fill you with all joy. Tim, amen. (laughs) Amen. He's only been here for two months. Give him time. (laughs) That's all I can say. All right. So the only thing I can conclude, because I didn't put my hand up, the only thing I can conclude... (laughs) And you say, well, you're the boss. Why don't you just get rid of him? It's not as easy. Anyway, it's all right. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it's you, yes. <laughs> this guy, he must have been just real lucky, right? I mean, how lucky can you be to just have everyone in your world fill you with joy? Because let's be honest, if you're going to live a life of joy, right, people are pretty important. Because people are in life, right? You just don't live a life without people. At some point, even with the internet, at some point you've actually got to meet somebody. Uh, At some point there's got to be human interaction. I know many of you have, have tried to isolate yourself as best you can from it. But ultimately there is no getting away from it. There's got to be human interaction. So this man, all I conclude, is just incredibly lucky that he can say that. That when I think about you, every time I think about you, every time, that's the thing, I am filled with joy. So I'm contemplating this, you know. I'm thinking, that just must be, he's the most luckiest guy they ever lived. Because I don't know anybody who can say that. So I've had a look back at the historical record of his interaction with the people at Philippi. Not hard to do, Acts chapter 16 and verse 22, if you weren't weren't aware of it, Uh, which is the historical record of his interaction with these people. Let me read to you what happened, and, and then you'll understand what he's talking about. Listen, in verse 22 of Acts 16, Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Oh, no wonder he's filled with all joy publicly stripped naked, then beaten half to death. Oh, well, that's, <laughs> hey, that's my kind of, that's, that's my idea of a pleasant afternoon. What about yours? And when they'd laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. That's the historical record of his interaction with Philippi. And yet he writes years later back to those same people the words that I just read to you. Every time I think of Philippi, I'm filled with joy. Has that got you intrigued? (laughs) It's got me intrigued. I'm thinking, how do you do that? How do you be filled with joy with people who strip you naked and beat you with rods and then throw you into prison for no apparent concept? Uh, you know, many people actually claim that Paul had been thrown into prison um, because he was a preacher of false doctrine, that uh, this was actually God kind of judging him, you know. This was his just desserts. This is what you get for preaching all that rubbish that you've been preaching, Paul. And I just wonder today how the internet and the so-called defenders of the truth out there <laughs> would have would have responded to Paul and and this 
this, this um, maverick, if you will, uh, ex-pharisaical preacher. No, Paul had relationship scars just like you and just like me. But Paul chose his memories. What other choice could have he had? Paul chose his memories. Let me give you, in that little bit that we just read, those three verses, there were two incredible insights about how to get on with people and about how to enjoy people. I'll tell you what they were. You may have missed them, but I do encourage you to go home and read it again, all right? Because in those three verses, there were two incredible insights in how to enjoy people. Um, The first one was simply to be thankful for them. He said, I am thankful for you. And when you start praying for people, and when you start thanking God for them, even though you know, there's been some, some animosity, even though there's been some misunderstanding, even though th- th- there's been some, uh, some distance between you, once you start praying for a person and once you start thanking God for them, something starts to happen in your heart. But the key is verse 6. Verse 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he's begun a good work in you, will complete it. What's that say? <laughs> That's actually humorous. I think about that. I'm thanking God for you're just amazing, but I know you're not quite. <laughs> Did you hear what he just said? He just said, God started the work in you and it ain't finished yet, but I know that it's going to be. So I'm rejoicing in the finished product because you are still on the easel being painted. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> He's saying, oh, I see what God's doing in you. And I know you're not perfect, but I know you're not finished. But I know you will be. So I see the end product, and I'm still rejoicing while you're on the journey. I'm rejoicing over where God is taking you, even though you're not there yet. I'm seeing it, and I'm rejoicing. So the key to getting on with people, the key to rejoicing with people, is to recognize God is working on them. They are being perfected, and I'm rejoicing over their perfection I'm seeing them as the finished product while they're still being completed. The key is confidence with God, not confidence with people. I'm confident that... See, we are good starters, but we're not necessarily good finishers. But God's a great starter, and He's just as good a finisher. And so He started a work in you. He's going to finish that work in you. And I'm going to rejoice in the work that God is doing in you. It's very dangerous, folks, to pigeonhole somebody five years ago and say, well, that's that kind of person, and so that's just the way they are. Rather than recognizing, hey, they might have been like that then, but God is working on them, and they're going to be different now than they were then. They are changing. I'm rejoicing over their direction, not their current position. See that? Paul's giving some insight on how to get on with people, how to rejoice How to enjoy your family. How to enjoy your place of employment. How to enjoy your world. Pray for them with thankfulness and recognize that they're on a journey. And I'm rejoicing over where they're going. Verse 12, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That's a profound little verse. And we're going to talk about it. Because I reckon... Before when I said that, wouldn't you like some things to change so you'd be happy? Many of you said, yeah. Many of you said, yeah, I'd like these lights to stop shining, then I'd be happy. (laughs) Or I would like, um, 
you know, I would like uh, something to be different, then I'd be happy. I, I would like us to, to sing a different song. I, I would like us to, you know, be in you know, There's something I'm not happy about. Yet Paul says, in all circumstances, in all situations, I will rejoice. The key was just in that verse. Did you see it? If you didn't see it, I'm going to explain it to you. Because there is a profound life lesson in that one verse. Uh, imagine, you know, you've missed the plane, right? You've... Um, you know, that's happened to me more than once, <laughs> that uh, you're rushing, you know, whatever, and the plane's gone and you can't get on. And all of a sudden, you know, your world implodes. Well, what, you know, stupid, I'm so angry with myself, I'm such an idiot because I got lost. I should have I found out where the airport was yesterday. I should have, you know, mapped my direction, figured out how long it was. I should have been better organized. I'm so stupid. Now I've missed the plane, I missed the connecting flight, and the whole thing's messed up. I'm an idiot. And you start to really kind of self-implode. Or, why did you take so long getting ready? You blame someone else. We could have been here half an hour ago if you'd been packed the night before. Or whatever, right? So you start to blame the other person who's catching the flight with you. And... Uh, and what you're saying is this. What you're saying is, my happiness depends on the cooperation of the world. I will not be happy till the world cooperates with me. I will not be happy till she cooperates with me. I will not be happy till he cooperates with me. I can't be happy till the world kind of lines up behind where I'm going and what I'm doing. And when it does, I've had a good day. And when it doesn't, I have a bad day. You know, I had a shocking day today. This went wrong, that went wrong, this went wrong, that went wrong, so on and so forth. How, how many know that if two people get married, both with the thought that he makes me happy and she makes me happy, that I'm going to suck all of my happiness out of her and she's going to suck all of her happiness out of me, pretty soon there's going to be no happiness left. We, we are... We are you know, headed for disaster. Um, let me read the verse again, and then I'm going to give you what I consider to be the key here. But I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me, things which happened to me, things happen all the time, actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Um, clearly, Paul interprets the circumstances of his life with this profound question. You see it all the way through the book. You see it time and time again. It's not what happens to you in life, it's what happens through you. And what happens through you is always determined by the questions that you ask. And let me say this to you, blame is never going to work, right? If I start blaming you and you start blaming me, I've never ever come across a happy married couple who've been married for 50 years who said, well, what was the secret to your marriage, Mick? Well, I learned, you know, everything was Carol's fault, you know? Once, we, once that was clear, we, we were happily married, you know? Or vice versa. I learned everything was Mick's fault. You know, sometimes I've wondered, but no, no. Uh, I've learned everything was Mick's fault. Once that was clear, if something goes wrong, Mick, it's your fault. Now we've been able to be happily married for 50 years. It doesn't work. Blame will destroy your relationship. If you live a life of blame, you are shooting yourself on the foot. You are drinking poison and hoping the other person's going to die. Blame will kid you. 
But here is the key to interpreting life. I believe he's found in that verse, and it's this. Paul interpreted every experience, everything of life like this. How can this circumstance be used to further Christ, either in me or in the world? I'm going to say it again. How can this circumstance, what's just happened, be used to further Christ in me, right? I've got to learn patience. I've got to learn kindness. I've got to learn forbearance. I've got to learn forgiveness. How can this circumstance be used to further Christ in me or Christ in the world? Paul's intention was to appeal to Nero to get out of jail and go to Spain. That was his thoughts from what we understand. He never made it to Spain. So here he is under house arrest in a prison in Rome for two years we believe locked to a Praetorian Roman guard. What's he going to do? He's going to sit there and go, oh, I've had a bad day. You know, God, is this how you treat the people you love? God, is this how you look after those who pray every day and who give and who serve and who, who honestly do what they can to propagate the good news of Jesus to the world? You put them in prison, you put them away. God, woe is me and woe is my life. Paul said, how can I use every day? And so this guard would come every four hours, the guard would change. And what do you think Paul did while he was chained to this guard? Do you think he whinged and complained and, whoa, I'm not sure if God loves him, I'm not sure there is, even if there is a God? What he did was he shared the gospel with the guards. He said, you've got a sick child, a sick relative, can we pray? Let's pray. And he'd pray with them and he'd share with them. I don't know this. But I, I, have a, I wonder, those Praetorian guards guarded the emperor and his family. And we know that the emperor's family turned to Christ. How did they hear? Maybe they heard from the guards that guarded them. And how did the guards hear? Well, they were locked to Paul. They had no choice but to hear. See, rather than complain about his circumstance, He said, how can I use this circumstance to further the good news of the gospel? Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I understand you go, well, that doesn't work for me. That's irrelevant to me. I understand that. But I can ask you to just stay with me for just a little while because your attitude inevitably determines what opens up to you. Not your circumstances, it's your attitude. Every time, it's your attitude. They tell me that 80% of people who lose their, their, their job lose their job because of their attitude, truth be known. Ultimately, it's your attitude that open, opens up doors to you. And if you can interpret the circumstances of your life with a positive purpose, then what a powerful transformation that would have on your attitude. And if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, then what more powerful purpose would there be than the purpose of the furtherance of the gospel, the furtherance of Jesus, either out there or in here? The moment-by-moment interpretation of the circumstances of your life through the prism of how can I use this to further Christ in me or in the world? Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed for with all boldness as always so now also Christ will be magnified 
in my body, whether by life or by death, he didn't care. He just saw his whole purpose was the furtherance of the gospel. You see the question there again. I don't care, life or death, it doesn't matter, as long as I can further Christ in the world. The same question is in that verse, but there is something else I want to look at here. Paul makes this incredible bold statement, I will not, I'm not ashamed. I have no shame in my life. Now that's a bold statement for this guy to make. I said before, what would make you happier? And I wonder if we could expunge some of the things from your past that you've done, if that wouldn't sort of you know, help along the, the journey. Well, Paul seems to have done nothing in his past that calls him shame. As for me, I, I, I can't say that. Uh, the reason I'm not ashamed is because you don't know what I've done. <laughs> that kind of helps me. You know, I try to, try to keep my shame to as few people as possible. What about you? Uh, I try to tell as few people as possible. You know, there are some secrets we tell and there are some things that we do, go to the grave about ourselves concerning because of the shame attached to them. And I'm not wanting to you know, depress anybody or cast the aspersions. I put myself on the block and say, hey, I, I got things I tell nobody because I don't want the shame to be out there. And so you might well say, well, Paul, have you just been able to live a, a life well hidden? <laughs> have you been able to keep your past from your public kind of you know, uh, exposure so you can live without shame? I'm not sure that he did. Because Paul, before you think he must have just been this goody-goody, you know, this goody-goody Christian guy who never did anything wrong, prior to he becoming a believer in Jesus, Paul was responsible for the murder of Christians. Um, Paul had some dark stuff in his past. In fact, it, it's not just possible, it's probable. Now work this through with me. It's actually probable, right, that Paul, as he goes around writing to these churches and speaking in these churches, that somewhere in that church was somebody who was related, maybe the grandchild, maybe the actual child, maybe the spouse, maybe the parent, maybe the uncle, of somebody who Paul had given the authority for their death. Now think about that. Uh, the best of my knowledge, I'm not responsible for any, for any of your loved ones' passings. Uh, <laughs> but could you imagine if I was? Because Paul was. Could you imagine that um, there's a young woman, uh, you know, with a, a single, a, she's now a single mother. And she's in this desperate situation where she um, lives on charity because there's no social security back then. Uh, if you'd had nobody to meet your needs, you starved to death. There's none of this kind of, you know, going to Centrelink or whatever. Could you imagine there's a woman, and, and women, you know, they, they couldn't afford to support themselves. And her husband, the, the breadwinner for her family, herself and her child, had been put to death because he was a Christian through some kind of thing that Paul was overseeing while he was a Pharisee. Could you imagine that? Uh, and now you're sitting there while Paul is speaking. And he's saying, I'm not ashamed. And you're thinking, you should be ashamed of yourself. Do you have any idea the pain that you've caused me? Do you have any idea the suffering that my family has to face? The, the, the uncertainty of my child's future because of what's happened? And you had the capacity to stop it and you didn't? Shame on you, Paul. Shame on you. Yet he says, I'm without shame. How do you do that? You either have no conscience at all or, or you've come up with something. See, let me tell you how you deal with shame. Right? 
because we've all suffered shame, right? We've all got shame. Let's be honest. There's things in our past that if we were to put up here on the screen that we could all see, it would all leave, right? (laughs) Me, you, us all. Let's just be honest about that. So how do you live without shame? There are two ways. One, drugs. (laughs) Uh, Alcohol, you know, uh, whatever. You know, you just got to deal with the, you know, I just got to deal with the pain. Like, there's no dealing with the pain, so I got to numb the pain. So what happens is I'm depressed. So I go to the, you know, the doctor and he gives me an antidepressant um, prescription. That doesn't actually deal with the issue, but it just helps numb, you know, uh, help, helps numb the symptoms so I can live. Drugs. Uh, the other way is blame. Blame. Right? I've done bad things, but he's done worse. Or I shouldn't have done that, but you've got to realize, you know, I had an overbearing mother. I had a, I mean, my father deserted me. You know, this happened and that happened. And if it wasn't for all that stuff, if it wasn't for all those things, I wouldn't be like I am. And so I blame everybody else for my actions and my behavior. I will suggest to you that if you make your way out here to the prison and you, you interview the inmates, you'll find very few guilty people. They'll all be there because of something that happened to them in their past performed on them by somebody else. Blame. Now the problem with blame is if you live with blame, you're back to the you know, first and second points. Right? I mean the blaming people or blaming circumstances. And, and as long as there's blame in my heart, there can't be love. You can't love somebody whom you blame. If I blame my wife, I can't love her. Because if I blame her, inside of my heart, I'm saying, you owe me. If I blame my father, I can't love him. Because I'm saying, dad, you owe me. You shouldn't have done that. You're indebted to me. And love is all about giving. And I can't give to those who owe me. They're already indebted to me. You can't actually love someone you blame. So if you're, if you're blaming you know, everybody in your world, then you're not loving them. The two things are mutually exclusive ideas. They cannot work together. Because blame says you owe me. Love says I give to you. Love, in a sense, says I'm owing you. I give to you. The two things can't work together, you see. And so you blame, and then, of course, you're back to square one and square two, point one or point two. Or... Is there something else? I said before, if you're not a believer, a follower of Christ, I I wanted you just to hang with me. And this is the reason why. Because here, Paul comes across, uh, or or, or here we see how Paul came across this amazing truth. He realized that he was not the, the composite of his past failures, but he realized something else. He realized that he could escape this form of misery of having to blame everybody else for his shame or try to get involved and life gets so busy and whatever and take drugs or whatever just to try to numb it. He he came across something that's profound and life-transforming. The only way to escape this form of misery is by assigning my past sin to Jesus Christ. I should have died. I should, I should have been, uh, uh, you know, put away and killed for what I've done. I, I'm responsible for the, for the death of other people. I, I acknowledge that. And that is not good. But you know something? Somebody has died for my past mistakes. 
And because of that, I can be bold. And he said that. And he was bold. And there he is in this, in this Roman prison being bold. And the reason he could be bold was because he didn't carry shame. And the reason he didn't carry shame was not because he did nothing wrong, not because he made no mistakes, not because he had no past sin, and certainly not because his past sin wasn't known, because everybody knew what he'd done. It was because he'd taken his past mistakes and in his heart he was able to assign them to somebody who had paid the price. So he was able to live a shame-free life. What would increase the joy of your life? Why is this man the ever-ready bunny of happiness? There's an overflowing, irresistible sense of joy about him. And over these next few weeks, as we, we get into this, this particular incredibly refreshing little book that if you're reading guides, you'll read today, you'll read it by tomorrow, but we're going to take the next few weeks to get through it. And, and I hope if you haven't read Philippians 1, that now you go home and read it. Now at least we've discussed it as we have done this morning. But you need to know that you don't have to live with sadness because of the people in your world. You don't have to live with depression because of past mistakes. You don't have to live with anxiety because the world's not cooperating with you and you know the correct pathway and I wish they would, but they won't and this, this, this would happen and it's not. No. You this morning can, like Paul, live an effervescent, overflowing sense of joy by taking everything that happened to you and saying, and this is for the furtherance of the gospel, by rejoicing in people because God's doing a work and he's going to bring that work to completion hallelujah and i haven't got to be ashamed because jesus has taken my shame away let's bow our heads together for you but i'm going to pray for you father i thank you for everybody in this room lord and i thank you that this can be a place of great joy lord i thank you that everybody in this room lord has the potential of living a life of irresistible happiness, of overflowing joy. Lord, I know that before we were talking about people and circumstances and past stuff, that Lord, no doubt many people in this room um, landed on a specific individual or on a specific circumstance or on a past action that robs them of their joy. I pray this morning that Lord will be able to deliver that stuff to you 